0: Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 1, The Red Woman is still over, but we're just getting started answering your voicemails here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show. And now here are the two guys who stand around talking all day more than the widows of all the deceased calls, I'm Rob Sistern, here's Josh Wegler. Josh, how are you? I hope that the widows of
1: podcasters don't all have to go and live in the same place, oh. because I feel like I'm going to drop dead at any moment here. Yes. And I don't want Emily to have to leave our home. I just want her to stay where she
0: is. No, my wife will be so miserable with the widows of all the podcasters. <laughs> she will be able to handle it. Yeah. 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 What was it? Vias Podthrac? Vias <laughs> Thrack. There, yeah. there you go. Early front runner for the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyway. the music
1: even done yet? Did we get a hashtag in before the theme music dropped out? It's
0: still lingering. It's still wow. lingering. Anyway, uh Josh, we are still lingering around as well talking about the season premiere. Of Game of Thrones. Boy, there really hasn't been a lot of Game of Thrones season premiere coverage on the internet. No, no one's talking about it.
1: It's very bizarre. It's like nobody watched this year. Uh, yeah. Suddenly, just like everyone was like, oh
0: yeah, that show. Yeah, it's been very under the radar Game of Thrones season six. I feel like that. Not every single site has uh, multiple uh, no. news pieces and all sorts no. of stuff
1: nothing nothing about it nothing about how oh no my buzz. god
0: yeah no buzz
1: about how melisandre is secret, secretly this crazy old woman no buzz about i can't believe john snow is still dead no one upset about Dorne, Mm-hmm. no <laughs> think pieces about that yeah it's been very right. quiet out there. Very quiet.
0: All right. Well, a lot of stuff going on. Of course, uh, this is our Game of Thrones feedback show where we take your voicemails, your emails. We talk about anything else that we're sort of thinking about after watching the premiere, getting you ready for this Sunday's episode, too. And Josh, yeah. for us, I mean, we saw the premiere two and a half weeks ago now. It's been so long since we saw a new Game of Thrones episode for us. I know.
1: Oh, what a, woe is us, right? Oh, poor us. It's been so long since our glamorous Hollywood premiere. It's been such a long time since we got to see this show early.
0: You know, we didn't really touch on it very much in the Sunday night premiere recap, but right. you know, you and I, a lot of people had been asking uh, about our experience uh going to go see the premiere where I got to be your date, your you plus were my one. Date. Yeah. I've you never were... been anybody's date <laughs> to anything I don't think before.
1: Is that true? You were
0: the, this is your first date? <laughs> Pretty much. I wow. think I went, I accompanied Nicole to a wedding at least one time, but it was okay. not. I've never been the date to anything I wanted to go to. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have been your first. It's both, it's both a tragedy and an honor. Yeah, first ever non-begrudging date that I ever went on.
1: No, well, you were definitely not kicking and screaming. You were definitely not bored. You were the life of the party, Rob. Oh, no, stop it. You really were. You were lighting that place up. I really wish that everybody could have seen this. You know, you were, I had to go away for like 30 minutes at one point to write a story about my experience on the red carpet. I got to interview most of the cast members, or many of the cast members at least. Uh, And when I went away, I was like, all right, Rob, you're good. You're at the after party. You'll find some food. You you were like, yeah, I'll be all right. I, I got this. By the time I came back, you knew that that Place mm-hmm. inside and out, you knew every single inch of the after party. You knew where all the good food was, you knew that the fish was the best thing that they were serving all night. It was quite good. You knew exactly where everybody was hanging out in the Hall of Faces.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it's
1: like that's the smoker's corner over there.
0: Yeah, that's where these actors are. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, that was really, really fun. Yeah, the, the premiere was a thrill, but uh, to me, I really feel like that the party that they had with all the cast and uh, you know, all sorts of uh, HBO muckety-mucks, all those people that they had there uh, at the Hollywood Roosevelt. Uh, that was really, you know, the, the part that really uh, was uh, very, very memorable. It was fun when we got to meet Samuel Tarley.
1: Yes. Yes. You, you, you enjoyed that?
0: Very much so. Yeah, we got to meet him in person. We didn't really talk to too many of the actors at the party, but uh, he was the one who, you know, because uh, Terry obviously knows him and uh, we did get to talk to him in person. For like five seconds. Yes, yes. I told that story
1: in the Game of Thrones book club. I'm podcast. sure, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Terry Schwartz and Rob, they finally
0: met, and it was uh, it was a great meeting. <laughs> Instant connection. Yeah, I'm a bit of the uh, Jack and Hagar, I guess, that, uh, that I was able to change my identity, Terry <laughs> didn't even recognize me.
1: Yeah, you were no one for <laughs> about an hour. One. It was yeah. no one. You were no one. She was someone. And then I showed up, and you're like, I don't think Terry likes me very much. Yeah.
0: And then Terry's like, oh, my
1: God, you're Rob Cesternino!"
0: I also uh, very much wanted to uh, go and talk to Bill Simmons, who was there. Okay. Uh, I did not because I could uh, sense that he did not want me to talk to him. <laughs> you specifically, he's like, oh, not Rob Zesterino. It
1: was Boston Rob, perhaps.
0: <laughs> I think, any, yeah, well, certainly anybody yeah. Boston, Boston yeah. Larry. I think, especially, yeah, yeah, anybody from Boston. I think that he would be uh, very excited to talk. I to. I thought him. Boston Rob ran this podcast. <laughs> yes, that's what no? the word is from some people. Interesting. <laughs> and then also, uh, yeah, but it was a thrill to get to talk to uh, Dan Feinberg. Yeah, that was great. Dan Feinberg, the great Dan Feinberg, colleague of yes, mine. Yes, one of your colleagues.
1: Yeah, yeah, who I've known for a little while now. We've been on a couple of sets together. Uh, Dan's a great guy, big Survivor guy.
0: There was a, there was talk of Dan appearing on a Survivor podcast at some point. Anytime, anytime he wants to come on. Yeah,
1: yeah Dan Feinberg's the man. He's a great yeah. guy.
0: All right, well, let's get into talking about the episode. In- well, before we do, can I ask you a question? Sure. You are, for anybody who
1: listens to our Walking Dead coverage, you are Rob, you are the Talking Dead superfan. Of course. You are, you are the guy who is always checking out what Chris Hardwick's got going on in
0: his Walking Dead after show.
1: I don't know if that translated for Talking Saul. Yes. With Better
0: call Saul. Did it translate? <laughs> well, I feel like that Talking Saul is a little, you know, it's, it's also tricky to get the, the tone right. I, I feel like that this call me just the biggest. After show super fan, I I think it's not quite right because I feel like that I'm probably the biggest after show recapper. Okay, got it.
1: So my question for you, Game of Thrones has yes. just launched its own after, after the show. Thrones. After the Thrones, speaking of Bill Simmons, a project from Bill Simmons, have you watched After the Thrones and what is your hot take on After what the Thrones? What
0: do you think? Do you think I have watched After the Thrones? <laughs> I think that you may have
1: pulled an Antonio Mazzaro and watched After the Thrones seven times.
0: Yeah, so After the Thrones, it is a project which I think is executively produced by the aforementioned Bill Simmons is hosted by Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, who are also podcasters that were uh, working with Bill Simmons over at Grantland and now on the new podcast uh, slash, I guess there's going to be a blog coming as well, uh, The Ringer. And I felt like that after The Thrones, I think that in terms of the tone, when I think that The Talking Dead works best, it's when I feel like it's a party. I mm-hmm. feel like that, hey, you know, we all just watched the show, and here are some celebrity guests that, oh, you didn't even know, watched the show, and they're sort of like cracking jokes and having fun talking about the show. And Oh, here's some actors from the show as well. And I feel like when Talking Dead works best, it's a bit of a party. To me, That I thought that After the Thrones was more of a televised podcast, right. which I think that while – Game of Thrones podcasts are great. We're doing one right now. Currently, as we're speaking. Yeah, I'm not sure necessarily that the best format for After the Thrones is to just take an audio podcast and do it as a TV show that I feel like that maybe it's a little too dry to do as something that you're going to like. There's no reason why you need to be watching that. It's fine as a podcast podcast that I wonder if they could do some more to make it a fun party-type show. After Now, again, there will be some Game of Thrones purists that are going to say, hey, no, we need the after-show recap, but there are so many podcasts out there. Not, I'm not specifically talking about this one, but there right. are... I believe there are over, at this time, 50 podcasts of Game of Thrones and people that are really, really... If you want to do the super deep dive into anything, there are so many different resources to be able to go to. I feel like that this has an opportunity to be something different than just a video version of a podcast. To me... They, they seemed like they were having a lot of fun though. Yes.
1: I mean, you know, it wasn't a party with celebrities or anything, but I think that the, the chemistry between Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan's really of
0: fun. Of course, so they have incredible chemistry Yeah, you know, really impeccable good. Impeccable chemistry and that's why they're great. Very dry the humor podcast. really like, you know,
1: sharp sniping that they're doing back and forth that I was actually kind of surprised to see on like the HBO sanctioned version of a Game of Thrones podcast I was a little surprised that they led right off with Jon Snow's not dead! You know, just things mm-hmm. like that was, was a little surprising I think that that's probably the biggest head scratcher me is that like this is hbo's podcast yeah uh and you know it seems to me like there's a lot of stuff that these guys are going to be great at covering but i'm surprised that they will be covering it on behalf of hbo if that makes sense
0: yes and to me i don't know who the target audience is necessarily for after the thrones is it i think that it's probably almost too inside baseball for the like my mom probably isn't Mm. gonna watch after the thrones but the people that are really does your way mom into listen it, to these podcasts no no she doesn't listen she does watch game of thrones
1: okay well there uh, you
0: go but that I, I don't know necessarily if it's it, i think it's it might be in a little bit of a no man's land where uh-huh. it's too mainstream for people that are hardcore And maybe too inside baseball for people that are just sort of like not necessarily like people that don't care enough to know are maybe aren't going to watch a 40 minute after show.
1: Right. Well, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. But I think that those are fair critiques. I think that, you, you know, if you get a cast member involved, if they get some interviews going, I think that that could really spice things up.
0: Yeah, I think that in terms of tone. That there's just so much Game of Thrones, you know, recapping and podcasting out there. I feel like that this has a chance to be a Game of Thrones talk show. And I feel like that we could, you know, either let's get let's get some cast members in there. Let's get there's so many, you know, famous people that are into Game of Thrones. Let's, you know, get some comedians in there. And sort of do it more like a Game of Thrones late night talk show. Cool.
1: Well, how about we focus on our Game of Thrones Instead of the desk, you can have
0: like the Iron Throne sitting there. Yeah. (laughs) That would be fun. Yeah. The Iron Throne or a Iron Throne? (laughs) Well, I think it has to be the Iron
1: Throne, right? Yeah. Probably does. It has to be the one.
0: All right, Josh, you want to get into some of the questions that we have? Yes, after our After the Thrones
1: discussion, now we are talking about actual Game of Thrones. Yes, okay. That is
0: where we were going. Let's
1: start with the big one. Um, You know, there were a lot of big ones, I think, in this episode, but I think the biggie-biggie is the way Wait, hold on a second,
0: Josh. Yeah. Do you think that—does it make sense? Should we do an After the Thrones recap podcast? (laughs) I think that that's probably just going to be part of the feedback show. Okay. If we're looking at our Walking Dead feedback shows as any kind of example. I just think— I think that this could be huge. I, I think an After the Thrones recap podcast could be a huge idea. As a separate podcast, you yes. could spin that out? Separate mm. podcast feed. After the Thrones recap podcast. After the After the Thrones. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Who watches The Watchmen? Yes. Th- that kind of thing.
0: Exactly. I like, it.
1: I like it. Not that I, you know, am feeling like we've got a lot of time to add a fourth podcast here, but hey, if you want to do hey, it, I will do it. look Uh, I will do whatever you know. I will do whatever you want. If there
0: is a demand for it, demand (laughs) for it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Still not do it. (laughs) Could be huge. I just think it could really capture. uh, You know, I think it would really put us on the map. It's gonna be hot. It's gonna be hot. I liked what they did with the map. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, they, had, they had like a character
1: map. It was cool. All right, well, let's talk about Game of Thrones. Let's start with the big headline from this season six premiere, which is Melisandra. And as you guys know, this is our voicemail show. This is where you send your ravens, your voicemails, everything. You do that postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Or if you want to send us email questions, got at postshowrecaps.com. You can send them that way. But how could we start a voicemail season of any show, Rob? We Without hearing from the prolific Steve Davis. So Steve, the prolific Steve Davis, he has a question about Melisandre. Before we dive into that, how are you feeling, Robert? You recovered from that big Melisandre reveal.
0: Oh, uh, yes. You're doing okay? <laughs> it was pretty shocking just like to watch that in a room full of what? 200, 300 people. Hundreds I mean, of people. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I was like, okay, we all just watched that together. Yeah,
1: it happened in front of us. It was scary. Yeah. It was frightening. Yeah, and then Credits come up. Like, oh, yeah.
0: okay. what do you think? Like, uh, that's. You- you just saw that old naked lady? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I did. I did. We both saw that together. You saw that old naked lady, uh, like 100 feet high? Okay. It was,
1: it was a shared experience that you will never forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of questions about Melisandre's age and what that means. But Steve's first question, and I do say first question, Steve's first question involves something else with Melisandre. Let's take it from Steve. Hey, guys. Steve Davis here. They're really giving the red woman the ability to make herself at home over at Castle Black. Let's not forget that this is the same place that houses the likes of Carl and Rest. These people wanted to have their way with Gilly every chance they had. Somehow, Melisandra has her own room at a place where women are forbidden, and this is after a mutiny has taken place. So yeah, Steve is taking issue with Melisandra just, like, shacking up at the Night's Watch.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if she had her own room. I felt like that she was sort of, like hold up there with Davos and everybody. Well, I am, yeah, I
1: am confused about the layout of, like, the bunker that Davos and his members of the Night's Watch and Melisandre and John's corpse seem to be shacked up in. It's like when you go off to college and, you know, you start off, do you have a single? Do you have a double? As you move along in college, do you end up with, like, a a suite? Do you have, like, a two-bedroom suite or something like that? What does it look like? What's the dorm room situation that these guys have shacked themselves up into?
0: Yeah, I feel like that It is a a bit like when I was in Onondaga Hall back in uh, SUNY Oswego, where you had like sort of like a common room and then there were bedrooms off the common room, maybe a shared bathroom for all the rooms. You had a bathroom in the suite? Yeah, in the suites, not when like in my dorm room, in my dorm room in uh, Cayuga Hall, Uh, you did not have a bathroom. No, of course. You had like two bathrooms for the floor. Right. Right. right, and there'd be all sorts of you know crazy stuff that would happen in all these different uh, bathrooms. But that's like team, what? Yeah, what happened? Like like there? Messes, messes, like oh, that disgusting, yeah. terrible. Uh, but in terms of like the suite you know it's like three bedrooms a common area and then a bathroom off of that
1: uh so i think it's probably a similar setup i think that you know a lot of castle black actually is modeled after suny oswego (laughs) (laughs) well it's very cold there yeah it's really cold there i can relate to college (laughs) life in a cold (laughs) northerly place as a syracuse alum this seems like kind
0: of uh, the types of suites you would see at booth hall perhaps (laughs) so i can relate I can't believe after we had this premiere episode, all these voicemails that our, our top story, our top question today is, why does Melisandre have her own room at Castle Black? It's a great way to start, I think. You know, any time that we
1: get to talk about your times with the weird, funky bathrooms at SUNY Oswego, <laughs> Rob, I think that we're really we're really keying in on the big story. Let's just say the Lord of Light has a lot of pull, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about the Lord of Light, and obviously the big, mind-blowing reveal at the end of the episode episode that Melisandra is not who she has appeared to be. She is much older than she has appeared to be in the past. Um, it, at the end of the episode, you know, at the end of every episode of Game of Thrones, you get to hear a little bit of behind-the-scenes details from David Benioff and Dan Weiss, the creators of the show, mm-hmm. and they refer to Melisandre as several centuries old. Um, so it's, you know, kind of an en- enigmatic, sort of, you know, murky number, specifically, but that's more than one century. That's, a, you know, at least two centuries, I think, that you could assume and several implies more than two so i think we got to go three or higher that's a pretty old woman yeah definitely she's old she is very very old but there are some questions out there on the internet this week rob about the consistency of Melisandra's old age this is from jamie who had written in as of the latest episode we've possibly learned that Melisandra Sands' necklace equals her true physical form however Back in season four, mm. we saw her in a bathtub scene with a noticeably bare neck. Any theories on this? Is the necklace not the true source of the red woman's age cloaking power? Steve Davis, we don't have to play it, but Steve Davis had also recorded a voicemail about the subject. Other people had written in. This is something that I've seen on the net this week. These uh, you know, these images from season four, episode seven, Mockingbird, the same episode where Littlefinger pushes Lysa Aaron through the moon door. There was this conversation between Melisandre and Celise Baratheon where she is indeed not wearing her amulet at all around her neck, and
0: seems to be just straight up Melisandre. Is it possible that she has an ankle bracelet <laughs> <Yeah>. version?
1: <laughs> I haven't even posted the book club show, so there's no way
0: that you know that. I already suggested that. Yeah, well, I, then. I called it the ankulet. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah, Maybe there's yeah. other versions that she has. Yeah, yeah. she has like a toe ang-
1: amulet. Yeah, yeah, she <laughs> just has it like around her little toe, her pinky toe.
0: Could it be nearby? You know, Can she turn it off at that point? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not sure. I may, it's like you a know, wristband. I'm just willing to say this is magic. This is the Lord of Light. There are probably a lot of things that we don't understand about this. I think that that's probably a dangerous thing to start getting into the technical loopholes of magic.
1: I think so as well. I think that one of the other things um that people have been saying and I actually went back and I rewatched this scene and this is an interesting take on it is we are seeing Melisandre for who we, you know, have been, you know, have come to know Melisandre to be, but Sélise when she's talking to her, she like can almost not look her in the eye. She seems timid, she seems frightened, she seems unsure some of the dialogue, the dialogue itself is specifically about the nature of truth and lies and Melisandre tells Salis that she's not somebody that really uh, withstands lies. She's somebody who doesn't need lies. She says to Solis that you are strong enough to look into the Lord's light and see the truth for yourself. Um, And so I think the implication there that a lot of people are reading from that scene, and again, not canon, but I think you could read it this way if it makes you feel better, that Solis actually is seeing the true Melisandre and we are not seeing it. Um, So it's possible that she knows Melisandre's true form before anybody else. Okay. I like that. I think that that's neat.
0: Um,
1: We have- She's a very neat lady, a neat red lady. Uh, we have some more questions Doing it for Melisandre.
0: I <laughs> What's best for Melisandre? <laughs> What's
1: best for Melisandre? Haven't you ever met a neat red lady? Uh, this is from Luke Burbank, who has more questions about the neat red lady. Uh, Luke says, have you guys thought about the possibility that the red lady could be dead at this point? She never wakes up from her nap, and when Davos comes in to speak to her about helping John, he finds a note and the necklace saying, put this on John, and doing so, he'll wake up with all the power of the red lady. Is that one way that Melisandre could bring Jon Snow back to
0: life? Well, we didn't see her write a note before she went to bed. Well, maybe that was before she disrobed. <laughs> then perhaps a perhaps. pre-written note. Mm. So
1: let's take let's take the, let's take the note out of it. Then, mm-hmm. do you think that there's anything to the idea that this amulet or ankulet, if you will, if we put this on Jon Snow, could that be the thing that pulls him back to life?
0: I mean, from what I understand, it seems as though the amulet. Does not necessarily bring dead people back to life from what I understand of it, and maybe you're more informed about this from the books, but it is some sort of like cloaking device where mm. if I put this on, then I can take a different form. I'm like a shapeshifter where uh, maybe similar to uh, what Jack and Hagar is able to do, I, I can take on a new identity. I don't think it necessarily gives me the power to, uh, as we talked about the weekend at Bernie's uh, idea, where uh, I don't think you take a dead person, put the amulet on them, and all of a sudden they're back to life as themselves
1: they're just dancing around Mm -hmm. uh
0: yeah i think that you know i think that the amulet has more power than that i
1: think that the the amulet we do see in one of melisandre's very first scenes on the show in the season two premiere when maester Cresson is trying to poison her and he drinks the poisoned wine as well and he starts to die in front of her and she hasn't even drank the wine yet and as he's dying she's like yeah why don't i just show you that i could drink this wine and i'll be totally fine so she drinks the wine he's bleeding out on the ground and as the camera's Kind of panning up from his perspective you see the amulet around her throat glowing red um so i think the implication there especially in light of what we've seen in this past yeah. episode is that amulet just like eradicated whatever poison was in there uh so i think that amulet is capable of some stuff yeah. i don't know if it's capable of bringing someone back to life
0: she does seem a lot more virile with the amulet on as opposed to uh when she is like a 300 year old woman without right. it off right i You've think seen so. her do some pretty athletic things yeah
1: some interesting stuff for sure cardio yeah but i think i mean listen we've seen red priests in the past bring people back to life like thoris of Mir and beric don darian and as far as i can recall thoris of Mir doesn't have any sort of red amulet around his neck maybe he has an anklet uh who knows but i think that whatever that power is that is derived from disciples of the lord of light i think it's separate from any sort of magical object i think it's got to be something that's within the magician themselves okay (laughs) you <laughs> Um, this is from John Santucci John Santucci writes in after touting Melisandra as a possible savior to the Jon Snow loyalists how is Davos going to react once he finds out that she burned his little buddy Shireen maybe he won't find out um, what's your take on this because we did see you know some you know some measure of empathy from Davos toward Melisandra in this episode also him talking about her as though he really respects her power and you haven't seen the things that I've seen her do how is that going to change if and when he finds out about the Shireen of it all
0: well who exactly do you think is going to tell him about that
1: I could see Melisandra telling him, you know,
0: I, like an, I oh, by the way,
1: I wouldn't advise it, but I could see her being like, "Yeah, things are really bad right now. Stannis is dead. John is dead. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I did some terrible stuff. I'm so sorry. I killed Shireen." Like I could see her just like really confessing. She seems at a major, major low right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't seem like that Davos and Melisandra had that sort of like catch up of like, "Hey, what happened to Stannis? What happened? Uh, what happened to Shireen? What, what's going on with Stannis?" Like, ah, well about that you know uh i had this crazy idea you know i was really just messed up and yeah we you know we killed shireen yeah, What? sorry yeah sorry so sorry yeah, I, do, I i don't think it's a plot point i don't think it comes up on the show okay you think that that's just gonna get buried yeah i think we're just gonna sort of like brush that to the side
1: feels like that information from my point of view Probably has to come out because that's a really big deal for Davos and Melisandre if they're forging some kind of alliance. That's sort of like Chekhov's sacrificial princess. Uh, where like that's somebody he really really cared about who is killed by this person that he now needs to work with I feel like the information at the very least has to get out there how he reacts that's anybody's guess I mean you could assume that he would just be furious and would try to kill her or do something drastic even though Davis is a pretty measured guy Mm -hmm. I think that that's really more of the question is what happens after that information comes out I feel like the info has to be out there at some point
0: I feel like that the act of bringing Jon Snow I do kind of like this idea that may Maybe it takes whatever is left from Melisandra out. And I feel like that maybe this is the end of the road for her. What else does she have to do? Yeah. Well, I don't know.
1: She's been around for a long time. She probably knows some stuff. Mm-hmm. Her, you know, her information that she has has to be incredibly valuable now that we know that she has been around for several centuries. Um, in fact, this was a question we got on our YouTube page from Zora. Zora had written in, "How old do we think Melisandre is?" The answer to that is several centuries. Uh, but Zora mm-hmm. continues to say, "If Bran is going to be somebody who's going to trip through the past, is there any chance we'll learn more about Melisandre's past that way?" And that's something that we know about bran coming into this season that his powers are going to be sharper keener one of the things that he is going to be involved in potentially is seeing visions of other things that have happened in westeros do you think that whether it's through bran or through just a straight up 90 minute flashback episode all of the walking dead do you think that we will see melisandre's past on the show
0: i mean i don't think so i mean we just have so much to do We're on a potential countdown clock of only 22 hours of Game of Thrones left to go. I don't know how much time we have left to devote to Melisandre's backstory. Even if
1: her backstory involves things like, you know, seeing dragons and seeing White Walkers and seeing all of this mystical nonsense that we are all about to brace ourselves for a big battle against, if that's seemingly the way that this show is going and the story is going, you don't think it would be worth checking in on the backstory that she might have a firsthand knowledge of some of this stuff?
0: I mean, I'll never say that it's impossible, but it just seems like such a lateral or even backwards move to start to really do a deep dive into Melisandre here at this point. I think the important thing for Melisandre is getting Jon Snow back up and running. And then we just got to get down to business.
1: All right, well, let's stick with the topic of the wall and the Jon Snow of it all and some of the possibilities for how we are going to get ourselves out of this jam. Uh, This is a voicemail from Jackie from Canada who wants to know a little bit about how we can get Jon Snow back. And we've talked a lot about how it might be Melisandre who's involved in that. But what if there's somebody else that could possibly do this? This is from Jackie.
2: Hi, Robin, Josh. I'm so excited that Game of Thrones is back and that you guys are podcasting about it again. Thank you so much. It's Jackie from Canada, and I just want to talk a bit and ask you a question about Jon Snow, who is probably still the viewer's number one concern at the moment. Uh, I am hoping that you can answer this question for me, but can the wildlings somehow bring him back without getting Melisandre involved? Can they? Is there any history of them doing any kind of magic at all? And is Jon Snow maybe hiding in Ghost right now, and uh, Ghost is protecting him until the wildlings get there, and we can somehow get him back on his feet and Melisandre can stay the little old lady in the bed as she is not quite the worst, but she is almost the worst. And I do not want her touching Jon Snow because most things she touches turn to crap. Thanks so much. Can't wait to hear your thoughts.
0: How
1: dare Keep you her in bed. <laughs> Keep her in bed. Don't wake her up. Yeah. I mean, she does deserve, I think like at least like a night of sleep, I feel yeah. like, you know, she, and she looks so warm, you know in there like she's all covered up let her be let her rest uh but are there other people out there wildlings specifically you think that could be involved in the process of bringing Jon snow back to life if that is still a thing that you are into are you still into
0: that rob what wildlings bringing Jon snow back to life or are just the idea of Jon snow coming back to life that, the second why wouldn't i be what yeah. am i some sort of john snow hater
1: i <laughs> i don't mean in terms of your feelings about the character but in terms of where the show has left us uh the fact that john is not back on his feet by the end of this first episode I mean, are you still thinking that john's coming back
0: josh is there anybody out there on the internet who is really just like a planting a flag on besides the cast of the show John Snow is dead. Mark my words, that he right. is as dead as a doornail. D e a d, dead. He is not coming back. Say goodbye to John. I mean, is there one person with that opinion? I think that there are people out there that have the opinion of like,
1: wouldn't it be cool if John just didn't come back and they really did just straight up kill him? Okay, but uh, that's
0: sort of like a sort of like a, a false argument that right. obviously wouldn't it be cool because it's obviously not happening
1: i think most people agree that john is going to come back and it's really just a matter of when and how
0: john snow is coming back are there wildlings that can do magic what if
1: Giants giantsbane just showed up and performed like some really baller cpr like if he just showed up and just like pounded on his chest like uh like uh jack and charlie in the first season of lost and he's just like oh god i'm awake now
0: yeah, let me show you something the bear taught me
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah some bear tricks <laughs>
0: what if what if one
1: one the giant eats Jon snow swallows him oh, no. whole oh, no. digests him and when Jon snow no. emerges he is now alive no. because of that's what happens when you're digested by giants boy that's in the books that's in the books
0: yeah okay if it's in the books then yeah then it's that's canon. canon that's canon I, I, and what do you think about this ghost argument yeah, uh, is could he be have something to do with Ghost? I mean, I think that's certainly possible. But you know, we talked about this on the recap show. You had mentioned, uh, which I think is correct. The show has not made any mention of this, so I I feel like that maybe could Ghost be his could his life be sacrificed to bring Jon Snow back? I think no, that's on the table. Please,
1: no, it's on the table. <sighs> it's on the table. John's on the table. So is Ghost. At some points, he's hanging out with John on the table. Yeah. Uh I hope not. I love Ghost. I would hate to see Ghost sacrifice to bring John back to life and I don't know if it would be worth it. <laughs> Not the not to get Jon Snow back? I'm valuing the direwolf over over <laughs> Jon Snow. Uh, so we'll see. Did you see this thing that was popping around the internet today? You know I love looking at those eyes, Rob. You know that I'd spent a good long while looking at Jon Snow's eyes to see if they changed color and if that gave us any any hints of the man possibly coming back to life. Uh, I had avoided this, but Brendan Fitzpatrick sent this my way. An UpRocks article that is studying the bloodstains of Jon Snow's body. Did you take any a special note no uh, I, I did not stains. look at the spatter yeah it looks like the the spatter is it wolf-like is it dragon-like uh you guys go and take a look yourselves and see if you see anything
0: okay yeah i'm taking so. a look at the the spatter here i think yeah. that's a uh, a stretch Yeah,
1: you're a a real regular Dexter. Yeah,
0: I think that's a real, real stretcheroo and not even like one of these things of like, uh, what is this picture? Do you know what it is? And it's like, oh, it's a man in a hat. Now is your mind blown?
1: All right, well, let's get back into the wildling conversation a little bit here. Let's take a voicemail from someone we haven't heard since the last round of Game of Thrones. Omri from Jerusalem, first of his name. Yes. Hey, Rob and Josh, how are you doing? This is Omri from Jerusalem, first of my name. Hey. So Ed went to get help from
2: the wildlings. I'm not so sure that's the best idea. I mean, Tormund is an okay guy, and one one seems kind of cool, but I'm pretty sure that nine out of ten wildlings, once they get
1: the okay to kill crows, they won't start asking, excuse me, are you Thorne's guy or are you John's guy? They'll just kill whoever they can, and the other ten percent will probably just eat their bodies afterwards. (laughs) Is
2: there any way this ends well, getting help from the people who hate you most? Thanks. Love you, babe.
1: So what happens if the Wildlings show up and and they kill all of these Night's Watch mutineers and then one one eats them all? Do we now have resurrected Night's Watch (laughs) mutineers? Boy, I don't know. Did that happen in the books too? That's also in the books. I know that I'm supposed to not spoil things in the regular feedback show. I feel
0: like that George really lost the thread here in the (laughs) fifth book. I thought that that was a really unique and clever idea. Yeah. So really... uh, Omri is so intolerant of the wildlings. Well, I think that there is something He's like worth- a regular thorn. <laughs> I think
1: there's something worth chewing on here, not to borrow some actions from one. one, one, one. Uh, right. for, but but I would I would say You know, Dollar has said he's going to go, he's going to assemble the Wildlings, he's going to get Tormund Giantsbane, they're going to come back, they're going to destroy Alistair Thorne, and then what? Like, the Night's Watch is just completely destroyed at this point? Is that the plan? The game plan is just completely eradicate everybody here on the wall? I feel like it's going to be hard to tell Tormund Giantsbane, like, hey, you and a few of your other Wildling friends only kill this one guy. Uh, and help us gain some control here and everybody's going to be cool i don't feel like ed has a delicate enough touch to make that happen i don't think that he has torman's respect the way that Jon snow did so when these wildlings do show up like what's going to happen you know what's the best case scenario for this situation
0: well i feel like that we could have potentially some sort of you know wildling and good guys from the night's watch working together but like they're just going to be totally
1: fine to to continue working with any crows i feel like just the idea that john snow is gone i think that that's really going to put a dent in things
0: don't you think it's possible that we could have sort of like a star trek voyager type scenario where we have the the federation and uh, the maquis then being forced to work together on one ship moving forward
1: I mean, I wish that I could really go down the Voyager rabbit hole with you but i just really wasn't there it was a wormhole it was a wormhole i didn't go there i didn't wiggle my way into that wormhole or a deep space nine wormhole
0: but okay yeah whatever whatever (laughs) i think
1: that there is just something to the idea of like how you know once you let wildlings start killing members of the night's watch how do you how do you stop that i think that that's like the kind of thing where like you can't put that toothpaste back in the bottle which is why i think again Jon snow is going to be back at that point he's going to control the situation i think it's not going to be so much of a concern but this might be a reactionary hasty idea
0: Yeah. Then again, desperate times, Rob. Yeah, I think so. And maybe the wildlings coming through are just sort of like the cavalry that sort of distract Thorne and buy some more time for Davos and Melisandre to figure out what's going on with Jon Snow. Yeah, I think so.
1: Let's move away from the wall. Let's stick in the north for just a little while. Uh, this is from Hunter Scholl, who wanted to know, why does Roose Bolton anticipate a war against the Lannisters? Aren't they all on the same side? Did you catch this line from Roose in the premiere where he's saying to Ramsey, yeah, we're going to be fighting some Lannisters pretty soon, and you've really screwed us over.
0: Well, I think that the reason why they feel like they have a fight brewing with the Lannisters is that Sansa is a wanted person for Joffrey's murder, that she was an accomplice as far as uh, Cersei and the Lannisters are concerned. And then Littlefinger helped her get away. They snuck her up to Winterfell to marry the Boltons, and then they sort of are saying, well, she has immunity. Now she's the you know, heir to Winterfell here with the Boltons in the north. And that's not going to sit too well with uh, the crown.
1: Yeah, I think that that sums it up. You know, I think that the Boltons, they really put their necks on the line trying to make this play that is going to gain them more power in the north by hitching their wagon to santa stark and making sure that there's an actual stark in winterfell and so the heir to winterfell is going to be a bolton stark uh that's something that's really great for them but it's probably going to rub the lannisters the wrong way so it's definitely a power move towards the lannisters so they're expecting the lannisters aren't going to be psyched about it at some point and that hunch is founded you know we saw back in season five we saw Littlefinger taking a meeting with cersei and basically saying let's let the baratheons and boltons wipe each other out. And then I'll come in with my people from the area and I will take out whoever's left. Uh, so I think that the Boltons are right to be suspicious of some sort of action coming from King's Landing coming their way.
0: I think that obviously the Lannisters want to reunite all of the you know lands of Westeros. Yeah.
1: Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick had written in, we talked about this on the book club as well. Uh, Sir Fitzy writes, one nitpicky thing, this is the second season in a row. Shouldn't Sansa at least acknowledge Podrick? She knows who he is. He was her former husband's Squire, for God's sake. They know each other, but the show plays it like they're strangers. Does this bother you, Rob, as much as it bothers Sir Fitzy?
0: You know, it really didn't bother me until he mentioned about how he was uh, Tyrion's squire. And so, yeah, I do feel like that. She might be a little like freaking out like, oh, wait, what are you doing here? I think there's got to be a little piece of that. What I argued on the
1: book club show is don't you think at a certain point she's just kind of like freaking out about the situation generally mm-hmm. I mean she is she is about to get you know captured by the Boltons and brought back to House Bolton she's going to be brought back to Winterfell against her will all of these horrible things are going to continue to happen to her she is suddenly miraculously saved by Brienne I feel like in the moment it's less important for her to really be polite to anybody let alone Podrick than it is to just like make sure that Brienne is on her side and she's just kind of rebounding from the initial shock of the moment if we get a scene next week where sansa and brienne and podrick are hanging out and sansa says to podrick i'm sorry who are you then i feel like that's kind of rude but for right now i feel like it's okay (laughs) okay
0: don't you think Uh, i think it's fine i think it's fine it it wasn't bugging me too
1: much wasn't bugging you too much all right well let's uh let's head east how about we go out east for a minute here love going out east where the hamptons yeah we're going to the hamptons (laughs) Right now, that's where we're going. Going to mind talk. Uh, no, Doesn't we're get going, more ease. Right. We're going to talk Meereen for a little bit. This is a voicemail from Chris Oliver who wants to know a little bit more about what the destruction, the latest amount of destruction in Marine means for the show moving forward.
2: What's up, guys? This is Chris Oliver. Um, one of the biggest things to happen this weekend that nobody's talking about is all Danny's ships were burned. The ships that were allegedly maybe going to take her to Westeros sometime in the not near future. So, do you guys think this is going to open up the open up the doors for her to make an alliance with like the Greyjoys, you know, they're seafaring people or the Dornish because Tyrion did tell her you need to make an alliance with a big with a big house or else your three dragons aren't going to do much good. So, do you guys see that happening or do you think she's just going to remain an old widow with the Dothraki <laughs> for the rest of the show? Yes. Thanks.
1: I think it's the last one. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen here. Good question uh, from Chris Ollie. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Ollie. We love Chris Ollie. <laughs> the good ollie this the is good the good ollie. ollie the ollie that does not suck yeah uh but what do you think about this do you think that it's just going to be danny is just going to be twiddling her thumbs in essos now that she doesn't have any ships what's the fix for this
0: yeah in hindsight it was a, a little bit of a kick in the nards to have the boats burned and have Tyrion say well i guess we're not going to westeros anytime soon like yeah. It's what like, no! else is new right
1: please no oh we were so close
0: yeah that wasn't really an idea that we were thinking was going to happen anyway. So they're just going to have to really make sure that they've
1: got a big budget for their Druber service. You know, once yeah. the dragons are tamed and they can start flying people back and forth, going to be high demand. I think that the uh, the prices are going to be real peak prices for a few days with those Drubers.
0: The idea of the Danny camp sort of teaming up with the Greyjoys, that seems like a pretty far-fetched idea, especially considering logistically where uh the where pike is in regards to marine and everything it's far like that. it's far away uh the dornish thing is interesting you know Tyrion had a pretty solid relationship uh with the uh, late great uh, red viper right that's correct so it's possible that Tyrion, especially that he is certainly anti-lannister they're anti-lannister that could be a thing that could be a thing and once upon a time the targaryens
1: and the martels were very chummy there hmm. were marriages between those families uh very famously within uh rhaegar targaryen himself was married to a Martell. uh so they definitely have history that could be that could be fun okay so I th- is that how we rehab the doran storyline we tie it in with danny or is that how we destroy the doran storyline
0: no, I think that that would be something. I, I don't think it's going to go in that direction, but I feel like that that would at least give Dorn something to do that would tie it into what's going on with Marine.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Skip Micklevane had a theory About how Danny is going to get to Westeros right now My theory, this is from Skip My theory is that Danny will rally the Dothraki To come with her to Westeros But instead of sailing across the Narrow Sea We all know how much the Dothraki love open water Another long night or mega winter will descend With the others and the White Walkers Pouring over the wall And the cold will intensify to such a degree That the Narrow Sea will freeze over And Danny and company will simply march March across. Winter is coming, as they say. What do you think? Are we just going to stroll from Essos over on to Westeros across the pond? They're just going to walk
0: on over? Is that a possibility? Let me get my Westeros map up and running. Now, I believe back in the day, in the time of the First Men, uh, something like that would have been possible. Like, there was, right, you could cross from, like, Valyria to, uh, to you know, to uh, Get to get across, right? Isn't that isn't that a thing?
1: Yeah, like legendarily there was like a, a part of Essos that could connect to Westeros uh that got smashed. It got like destroyed, mm-hmm. uh, and the that doom. is yeah. And it was I don't think it was in the doom. It was, but it was in connection to dorn So you would have gone that way. Yeah. But that wasn't frozen water. That was actual land.
0: Yeah, I don't think that an entire sea is going to freeze up. And even if it is on foot, I, I just think everybody would freeze to death. At the By point- the time,
1: if, if that were to happen, then you really got to be worried about like every character on the show. If the White Walkers have gotten to a point where winter is so hardcore that they've brought the narrow sea to a frozen standstill, that's got to be really bad for everybody in the Seven Kingdoms.
0: Yeah, so I don't think that's going to be a thing. Okay. Dothraki also uh, do not have a lot of winter clothes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Dothraki? Sure. This is a voicemail
1: from our good friend, Mike Bloom. Hey, brothers. It's Mike Bloom. I have a quick question about
0: the Dothraki, or should I say the Rocky? Because, yes, we haven't seen them in a good four to five years, but for the life of me, I can't remember the Dothraki being this douchey. I guess I'll use the term. I mean, they're making yo grandmother jokes. They're giving high fidelity ask top-five lists about seeing women naked. I mean, is this a commonality amongst the Dothraki that I just don't remember? Or did Danny happen to stumble into the biggest frat house in the grassy sea? Love to hear your thoughts. By the way, other question. If Post Recaps wins the podcast award, who is getting the golden crown on behalf oh, of the team? Can't wait to hear your thoughts and your thoughts about the entire season coming up. Just to clarify, the
1: golden crown is when you have molten hot gold poured Mm -hmm. over your head and thereby you die. So does somebody have to die if we win a podcast award? Well, it was Mike Bloom's idea.
0: (laughs) Mike, I hope you're ready to step up. Yes to the mic, uh, and just uh, if you are curious, it's what Mike Bloom is referring to. The podcast awards uh, nominations for this year are open. If you would be uh, so kind, we always appreciate it if you send a raven over at podcastawards.com and nominate post show recaps in the TV and film category. All right, so uh, were these particular Dothraki particularly? Bro, y in your mind, Josh? Are they the Broth Rocky? Is this the this is my
1: question? I feel like the Doth Rocky have kind of always been Broth Rocky. No?
0: Yeah, I think that Khal Drogo was just kind of a, a stand-up guy. I think he was sort of he did not really have an entourage of guys that were really egging him on, as opposed to Khal Moro. Khal Moro's guys are really, really egging him on. He's the sure. vinny Chase of the Doth Rocky.
1: <laughs> so which one's turtle? <laughs> That's the one I want to talk to. Uh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Or Drogo Drama. (laughs) Yeah. Call drama uh, I feel like You know Even then though Even with Drogo It took a while Before we were able To stomach Drogo uh, You know I think Drogo Was somebody Who was very scary And dangerous For a while uh, It took a while For Danny To really be okay With that And kind of Temper his customs A little bit With her view Of the world So even from that point I mean The first thing That we learn About the Dothraki Is that A Dothraki wedding With anything less Than three deaths Is a dull affair We see You know Like Dothraki Warriors straight up like raping people at that wedding so from the jump these guys are kind of awful uh i think that the broth rocky thing i mean so far everything that we know about dothraki rocky is like they're very animalistic they take what they want they fight they kill uh they see people naked and that's a top 5 baby moment in life i think that they've always been broth rocky
0: and these ones are just happen to be much more vocal then uh what's going on with uh, the drogo camp
1: i'm curious about what the top five best things are for the dothraki based on what they said this was the list that i came up with in going back and reviewing the tape one is killing another call obviously uh two is conquering a city and taking her people as slaves and taking her idols back to vias dothrak okay three is breaking a wild horse and forcing it to submit to your will then I believe four is seeing a beautiful woman naked for the first time, and they didn't come up with a fifth. So what's the fifth, do you think, for the Dothraki?
0: Boy, uh, fifth best thing for uh, the Dothraki, I feel like it's got to be casual Friday, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where you can just wear whatever you want. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be pretty good. I feel like this order is a little wacky. I feel like, you know, killing the call, I, I guess that's sort of like winning the championship. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I mean... To me, the idea of, you know, okay, conquering a city, that seems pretty big. uh, That's pretty cool. So you would think that that would be number one. The one that's really, I think, out of place for me is uh, breaking a wild horse. They really
1: love horses, though.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But it's like, who cares? I mean, that's really better than, you know, the either, uh, you know, the uh, live nudity or the casual Fridays. Yeah, I guess. I I don't know if it's above uh, casual Friday. Hmm. Casual Friday would be pretty high up on the list for me. And they have so many horses. What are the top five joys in your life, Rob? <laughs> uh, it's pretty much uh one for one with the Dothraki list, I think. <laughs> really? Yes. yes. Wow. I don't have the horse know that you were such
1: a, I didn't know you were such a broth <laughs> Yes, that's me. I had no idea. Albert Vargas had submitted some possibilities for the top five best joys in life. Are you ready for this? Ready. Number one is an unassisted triple play. Mm-hmm i don't know what that is yeah uh isn't it a triple play is that like the double down <laughs> Yes. Yeah. it's something that's on the secret menu at in and out except there's like three chicken patties yeah uh getting a refund on your tax return is that yes. one of the top five joys it really depends on how much that refund is albert also adds mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich where the mutton is nice and lean and the <laughs> tomato is ripe yes yes that's pretty good i know that davos would sign off on that
0: um and also the snooze button no i'm anti snooze button you hate the snooze button it's just like uh you know i i think that the best is sort of like oh i forgot to change my clock ahead. i actually have an hour more to sleep nine minutes is like nothing it's a lot yeah yeah it's a, uh, it, it's a lot you like it uh i don't know if i like it so
1: much as i use it and need it <laughs> okay but I do use it and need it. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. All right. Well, let's start wrapping up here, but we can't wrap up until we talk about Dorn. We got to go to Dorn. This was a voicemail that we got that was about what happened in Dorn this week.
2: Why did
0: it have to be sand snakes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why did it have to be sand snakes, Josh? Uh, that was from Indorano Jones. little yeah. Richie Snakes. Yes. Why well, did it didn't have to be sand snakes? I think that there's a lot of aggression out there uh, among the Game of Thrones fans about what happened in Dorne this week. I know that a lot of people, especially people who are fans of the books, are not super psyched about it. I got an email from James Gagnon who said, "So we saw the destruction of the Martell family in the premiere episode. As a book reader, I am outraged to see how this was treated. How they treated Doran Martell, a character that could be compared to Varys or Littlefinger in his schemes and long term planning for the end game." my question is for josh do you feel the same way as i do as a fellow book reader does this confirm there is no dornish master plan i know for show only watchers this didn't seem like a very big deal as dorn was such a mess last season but in my opinion they just messed it up even more so let's let's kind of cut that apart i mean rob you've started listening to the books you're pretty deep into that you've uh Hmm. you're are you're you're still in book four right now yes Uh, um as somebody who's, you know, like coming into the books a little bit and starting to get into the Dornish stuff, were you particularly annoyed about the Dorn situation or are you on board with what the show is doing?
0: No, I'm I'm fine with what the show is doing. Yeah. I mean I, I don't really have a Dorn storyline that I'm super invested in in going through the book, so I can't say that. I'm like,
1: ah, I didn't get to see that. I do think that there are a lot of people who really love that Doran story in the books. I mentioned this on the live show. Stephen Fishback loves Prince Doran Martell. Very sad to see him go. I know that there are a lot of people who really like that character, and he's a more proactive character In the books, you know, he is still, uh, stationary. He's still not moving around a lot, but he is putting things into motion in the books for sure, uh, that we never really got to see on the show. The show chose a different path. I did not love the Sand Snake story in season five. I was not a big fan of that. I was really hopeful that it was gonna be very cool. I didn't love how it ultimately played out. I think that there was just a problem in Dorne and you had to give that storyline some teeth somehow, um, if you were gonna continue it, unless you just, you know, Know, decide, like, okay, we're shuttering Doran. It obviously didn't work. But I think that the choice to give some teeth to the Sand Snakes, to give Hilarious Sand more of a progressive, proactive power position than someone like Doran, I think that that makes more sense given how the characters had been shaping out on the show. I feel like for Prince Doran Martell to be a really proactive character all of a sudden, I think it would have come as a bit of a surprise, and that may have come off as a little bit of a reach for people who aren't already familiar with the story. So I'm actually okay with it. I'm curious to see where they go, but I definitely get why book readers are not loving that Doran story.
0: Yeah, and again, like I said earlier in the show, if there are only 22 episodes of Game of Thrones left, we got to start winding this thing down. So I think that anything that's superfluous at this point, we just need to sort of streamline and get down to brass tacks. There's a lot of story left to tell.
1: A lot of story left to tell indeed. So we'll, we'll see how all that goes. One more thing on Dorn from Jonathan from Orlando. Let's take a voicemail from Jonathan.
0: Hey, Robin and Josh, this is Jonathan from Orlando. So you explained the continuity error of the Sand Snakes being on Jamie's boat, and I can forgive that. And I guess I can also forgive Jamie not killing Tristain himself because he didn't quite have enough information about Marcella's death to do so. But what was really odd for me is why it seemed like Tristain wasn't even informed of Marcella's death for that entire boat ride as he was busy doing his arts and crafts. And why did they just leave Tristain on the boat when they got to King's Landing? Everything about this Tristain and the sand snakes on the boat sequence seemed really poorly written. And I was hoping you guys can touch on that a little. Thanks. Bye. Now, Josh, this didn't really bum me out too much in terms of Tristane's arts and crafts. I, I mean, I didn't think he was just working on an art project. That's like, he's like painting the eyeballs that you put on somebody when they die on Game of Thrones.
1: Oh, so he is like doing that for Marcella, perhaps?
0: I mean, that don't we always see when somebody dies on Game of Thrones, they lay them out and they put those rocks over their eyes with yeah, eyeballs sure. painted on them? So it sure. seems like that he was. Nothing about that really bothered me except for the sand snakes being there because I felt like that Jamie probably says, okay, you stay here on the boat. Let me go talk to Cersei. She can be a little irrational. I don't know what she's going to do. She might call for you to be executed. Let me go talk to her about the whole Marcella thing. She might hold you responsible. So you stay here on the boat and, you know, work on the eyeball thing. It didn't bum me out.
1: Not for nothing. Uh, but I think Tristain's going to need those eyeballs for. Yeah.
0: Himself. yeah. Well, no, there's, he doesn't point. have a face left to put the yeah. eyeballs on. <laughs> they just like put it on what's left of the face. Yeah, he needs um, to paint a face and put it on over his whatever is left.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we could keep picking apart at the sand snakes being on the ship. Uh, there's some continuity stuff there that's a little wonky. I think that you can, you can pick that apart yourself. I'm less interested in that. What I'm more interested in for Jamie, for his knowledge, Doran just assassinated not just his daughter, but the princess of the seven kingdoms. And he has Doran Martel's son in his custody. Why on earth does he not hang on to that kid as a hostage?
0: I think that they were probably – it's a long boat ride. I think that they probably had some sort of an understanding, and I think – Oh, you think they bonded at that point? I think so they like, bonded, and I think uh. that Jamie knows – I mean, Jamie saw – marcella in love with Tristain. he knows Tristain didn't have anything to do with this sure
1: but i think you could keep him you know you could treat him like a nice hostage like you could feed him pizza you could put him up in a really cool dorm in the red keep i don't know if it's going to be suny oswego levels of mm-hmm. cool but you could put him up in a really solid <laughs> well, they weren't room that nice. <laughs> you know you could give him one of those suites that has its own bathroom uh you could hang you could hang on to him and give him a nice life and still threaten the martels and say well we have your son I just don't know why he wouldn't take that step. I don't know why you would just send that kid right back to the place where your daughter was killed uh, when you have this potential power piece in your possession.
0: I mean, you feel like he went back to Dorne? I felt yeah, like that th- the boat was just in the dock at King's Landing.
1: Yeah, I think that it was being sent back to, to Dorne. I think that the ship was turning around and I think that he was going back.
0: So I don't really know what Jamie's plans were with Tristane, but... Again, that we could really go and, and Monday morning quarterback what Jamie did, but Tristane's gone.
1: And then I think the other thing you could say is Jamie just lost his daughter. So he's not thinking straight, not thinking entirely straight. Yeah. And Tristane seems like a good guy. Seems like a good guy. All right. One guy. final voicemail. You ready for one last one? Ready. Let's take this final voicemail from Nita so that we can continue a great tradition that we do here on these feedback shows.
2: Hi, guys. This is Nita. And I have a question. Who is at the top of your GOT death draft? Thanks. Okay. Love the show. All right.
1: Bye. 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 All right. Sweet. Let's do Game of Thrones death draft. Let's have this in the books. Let's have this locked in as we move forward through season six, because right now my guess is pretty much as good as yours.
0: Uh, so, do you have a main character, a not so main character, and then a wild card? Is that what we yeah. do? Yeah.
1: And then let's pick somebody who's safe. So I guess uh we want to where do you want to start? All right, let's start with the main. Let's have you kick this thing off, Rob, and then I will follow you.
0: A main character who's going to die. And what's main is main character like uh in the opening credits, like a lot of people are
1: in the opening credits, but I think just somebody who's been a major player on Game of Thrones throughout these seasons and somebody who is going to be a major shock value if you were to lose that character.
0: Now can I say Melisandre? Does that count as a main enough character? Or is that more of a, of a secondary character? She's like main-ish, main-ish. I think. Okay. I would I would I would allow it. I would allow it. All right, Melisandre. so give her so that'll be my, my uh secondary character. So why don't you okay. give us your secondary character? Alright, I'll
1: give you my secondary character. How about for my secondary character? I feel like Alistair Thorne is not coming out of this thing alive. Mm-hmm. I think Alistair Thorne. Very likely is, uh, is toast. I can't imagine Jon Snow is going to be very pumped about what Alistair Thorne did if Alistair Thorne is still alive whenever Jon Snow comes back to life.
0: For main ish characters or, or main characters, uh, let's see. I will say that, boy, I, see, I kind of feel like that all of the, ma- the main players are going to be around. I don't think we're going to lose anybody, like, in the, you know, the in the pay scale, like, the mm. level A characters. I don't think we're losing anybody else. I'll take a
1: stand. Uh, I would not be completely shocked if we lost cersei Ooh. i think that i think we could lose cersei she is certainly suffering at the hands of the high sparrow that the high sparrow has really been coming after house lannister she is in a position where she is desperate where she is filled with grief and you could really see her doing something drastic and paying for it so i could see cersei dying this season
0: wow uh, that's pretty big that's pretty big i don't know if i could top that at all uh try yeah how about Littlefinger? Can I go back
2: to Littlefinger? Oh,
1: I would count Littlefinger. That's big. Yeah. If we were to lose Littlefinger this season, that would really I would be surprised by that. I feel like he's got to be around for a while. He's got to watch the world burn before it burns him.
0: Yeah, I think he's around until the final season also. But again, if we're, if we're making a big pick here, uh, that's where I go. Right, what about wild card? wild cards uh let's see wild card wild card uh give me i'm, I'm
1: probably i'm gonna stick with the north because i feel like there's gonna be death in the north mm-hmm. uh those white walkers are there boltons are there lots of people who are killable super killable characters i'm gonna take torment giants torment okay uh and give me jorah mormont oh yeah that's a time he's bomb. definitely <laughs> dying yeah okay. <laughs> ticking time bomb for sure and then one last pick somebody who is going to be safe somebody who is going to make it to season seven you get the honors okay
0: i'll say sansa
1: okay he'll take sansa now is it cheating since he's already dead but what if i were to take Jon snow <laughs> no not cheating okay i
0: mean there's I think- a bunch of people that are just like bulletproof you know so, take danny take uh, yeah. Tyrion, and uh, these characters are not dying
1: i will take Jon snow and i will lose the safety point if he stays dead through the season fair enough about All that. right, okay. uh, Josh, what's the hashtag? What did we say at
0: the beginning? Vias pod or bro Thracky. is probably easier. There you go. Thank you, Mike Bloom. Thank you, Mike Bloom. All right. What's coming up next? Is it our next live show on Sunday night? <laughs> live show is coming up. Uh, we are going to be back. The next
1: episode of the season, season six, episode two is called home. Oh, nothing. Nothing hard about this home. Just straight up home. Oh, uh, so we will be bringing Sounds some nice. podcasting into your homes. Okay. Uh, Josh, what is the schedule for that live show? We are not going to be live immediately after the episode. I'm going to have to write my recap. That's going to have to come first. That's going to take about an hour. So I think we're going to start around 11:15 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be doing our live show.
0: Okay, if you want to be live, join us then. If not, subscribe to the podcast Go to postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes or search for Game of Thrones Post Show Recap. Thanks so much to all of you guys who have been subscribing over the road to Westeros and all of this that uh, really have been uh, climbing up the iTunes charts. If you want to uh, help us out even more, stark ratings and feedback are always appreciated on our iTunes page. Thank you guys so much for that.
1: Love those stark ratings.
0: Yes. All right. So Josh, of course, is writing for THR, the Hollywood Reporter. You can follow his stuff at Round Howard on Twitter. That's the way. All right. I'm at Rob Cisternino. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments on postshowrecaps.com. Have a go and Take care, everybody.